This episode is presented by Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, an advocacy and action nonprofit created by and for restaurant workers. Learn more at restaurantworkerscf.org. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring food for the eyes, how the art and culinary worlds collide. It's incredibly elaborate. It's a feast for the eyes, a banquet dinner with garnished ham, turkey, and an array of accompaniments. We shot uh, baguettes with like paint dripping off of them with the blue, white, and red from the French flag. Oh, what did the student tell me? They said, the camera eats first. And it's so true. It's so true. Tune in to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Good morning. Bang, bang. All right. Today is Thursday, February 6th. I'm Emily Pearson. Good morning to my co-hosts, Trig Brown and Patrick Martins. Hey, guys. How you feeling? Good. Yeah? A little tired from the week? Everyone's got a little coffee, a little pick-me-up? <laughs> so uh, I'm in studio today. with uh, We're here with a very special guest. We have Jessamine Rodriguez, who is a social entrepreneur, educator, and founder of Hot Bread Kitchen, an amazing bakery in Harlem that trains low-income and immigrant women in culinary and professional skills. And most recently, Jessamine joined Union Square Hospitality Group about nine months ago as managing director of Daily Provisions, one of our absolutely hands-down favorite places to eat all day here in New York. Welcome, Jessamine. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're excited to have you in the studio. We are going to jump right in. We always start with a game of word association. We've selected a word for each of you. Tell us your thoughts. Patrick, competition is your word. I was not expecting this. Competition. <laughs> it's uh, it's healthy, obviously. I guess I'm always, like, if I start, heard someone is selling heritage breeds, I, like, want to find out about it. I'll call five people in a half hour. I'll get the load down. I will... Put a seed of doubt maybe in them, but act supportive. You know what I mean? I'm like, really? Just the right amount of negativity. Heritage chicken. I like raise my voice. I'm like, hey, it's a heritage chicken, isn't it? Oh, that's interesting. Where did they get the genetics? So for you, it's and more like high the pitch. competition. Yeah, no, the high pitch. Actually, you know, we've been very blessed. And Anne is actually, we were just talking about this with Anne. Anne is trying to get proprietary cheeses where a cheese is made just for her. Like it might be wrapped in a certain beer leaf, you know, beer soaked leaf or something like that. So she has exclusive. We're quite lucky because these genetics that we sell are so rare, so endangered that very few people have access to the genetics, even they wanted to raise it. Uh, sadly, you know, people co opt the word heritage all the time. So like Whole Foods sells a heritage turkey. I guarantee you there is not an ounce of heritage genetics in that turkey. But because it's very hard to monitor the genetics, it's, uh, it's you know, hard for us to, to you know, differentiate How ourselves. much does it cost to get a turkey DNA test? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, you know, the USDA doesn't uh, really have a proof. Like, there's no barred rock genetics. But we are raising money starting later this year to build a conservancy. It's like a museum, archive, lab, and a petting zoo. Not a petting zoo, but like a show barn. 
on Frank Reese's farm, our turkey farm. It's going to be called the Good Shepherd Conservancy. It's official 501c3 uh, already. And that is one of the goals is to start covering the nutritional aspects of all this stuff because, uh, yeah. But even beyond, you know, the genetics, right, you guys have uh, such strong relationships with the Newmans and the Newsoms mm -hmm. and, you know, Edwards and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, it's like uh, – you know, you can't that that also protects you know what you're doing that's too, true because you can't d replace those relationships. God, I must be competitive. I was totally going somewhere else with competition. We're, I thought I was going to be like, how many integrated. bagels can you eat oh. in five minutes? <laughs> well, you saw me eat one and a half. <laughs> he shared his bagel with me. Yeah, yeah. And he tried to pawn it off on me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Jessamine has some thoughts about bagels. I think we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk Revisit. bread a little later. We can ask you two questions uh, to uh, word associations bagels. All right, first word bagel. Bagel. Um, I have a very high bar for bagel. So I feel like if we could DNA test a mm. real bagel, that would be a consortium and a nonprofit that I, w I would really want to get behind. Give I think money a lot too. of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very competitive with my bagels. None of my businesses has, have ever made them, but I feel very, a lot of proprietary. Um, ownership over a true to what bagel. what's a true bagel you are kettle uh, boiled obviously kettle boiled uh -huh. but you are um, canadian do you have any allegiance to the montreal style bagel? so i like a toronto bagel what is that which is different than a montreal it bagel. comes frozen oh <laughs> patrick you want to fight today competitive <laughs> oh this it comes frozen yeah, totally competitive um okay so a toronto bagel is smaller than a new york bagel but similar to a new york bagel style i like a montreal bagel but it doesn't to me you know it's not a quintessential bagel it's a special treat mm -hmm. i like my bagel salty um but i find that new york bagels are too soft and just way too big yeah. and quick proof yeah i like the small bagel i i, I appreciate so that. this is like mini bagel or there's some line in between well i'll tell you i do find at a new york bagel shop if somebody's like got a gun to my head and i have to buy bagels in new york from one of the many bagel shops in my neighborhood none of them are kind of the specialty shops i'll go for the mini bagels because those are more the size that i feel like mm -hmm. a human being should be eating and with, it has more crust to inside ratio more which crust, is nice. crust to crumb ratio better vehicle for better cream cheese and lux so i i, I really uh -huh. for me the size of the bagel has a lot to do with it and then just how it's pre preserved they should be eaten really hot and really fresh and you don't want to have you don't want to have to toast it do you want to do the main course test for if you're a true bagel aficionado how angry do you get when i say the following words blueberry bagel oh jeez. okay good good <laughs> she passed she passed rainbow, rainbow the bagel rainbow craze. i mean i'm gonna say something probably a little controversial and be like whole wheat bagel like get out of here Stop. get out of town <laughs> whole wheat bagel i was raised as a plain bagel girl and you didn't toast it when they were warm and they were fresh from h and h on the upper west side that that, that was, was your, your bagel was ready. I grew up with everything bagels being a new thing. I think in yeah, the yeah. late <laughs> mid seventies, eighties, they were like, "It's new. We've yeah. combined all the toppings." My husband, in Virginia, my husband like introduced me to the frozen, everything bagel. Like, Lenders, yeah. we had Lenders bagel frozen. I was also like, uh, the everything bagel came in late in life. Since my word for what is it brainstorming is um, for quick responses, innovation. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say something potentially radical. Best innovation in the bagel, the flagel. Oh. Which is the flat bagel. Which is the flat bagel. So that's so acceptable. I, I would say that's acceptable. So if you're at a bagel store in New York, I would go for either a mini bagel mm -hmm. or if they have them, flagels. 
Which really is sort of the solution to all the people who say, can you scoop out that bagel? Exactly. What are your thoughts on pizza bagels? Uh, done well, great. <laughs> yeah. on, done small on a good bagel. What about the original frozen pizza bagel? Oh. With the square not, little pieces. She doesn't know it. She's you can, from Canada. You can eat them I'm from, anytime. I'm from like bagel land. Like <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Near my house where I grew up in Toronto, there was Bagel World and Bagel Plus, both within three block walks. Like mm-hmm. very close. A lot of good bagel stores. And so when I think of pizza bagel, it's like. Yeah. You know, grocery store mozzarella, potentially some jarred sauce over bagels that were maybe eight hours old, and I and I I and made at home though. I like oh, pizza yeah, yeah. bagels. Under you the boiler, eat a bagel crispy. and then you get a slice of pizza. <laughs> so okay, Tr- Trigger's trig- going back to his childhood days of the frozen uh, aisle at the supermarket. <laughs> I, have, I have four brothers. You know, right. uh, Costco frozen goods were. Yeah. My mom's a great great cook, but you know, occasionally. Yeah, she is also a working mom. Doesn't have a kettle. Oh, my God. Five boys. Yeah. Not enough food ever. (laughs) Yeah. Trig, your word. Pop-ups. Word association. Um, Yeah, word association. Uh, Collaboration, uh, support, uh, community. I I, I think uh, as, like, a small business owner, um, you know, we depended without like PR or anything, you know, we really depended on our relationships with other restaurants and, you know, like uh, craft, crafted hospitality hosted us to do a pop-up. My old, um, chef, Justin Smiley hosted us at Upland to do a pop-up and, you know, accessing these, you know, markets and customers in a completely, um, different setting that we would have never had access to without their generosity and hospitality. Um, you know, you just came from a pop-up. Yeah. I just came from up, did a pop-up in uh, Philly with my old chef from craft Ed, Crochet, who has a restaurant called Fiori in uh, in uh, South Philly, and um, you know it was it was really fun. They uh, they have like a wood fire grill, so we did some did some in a wood burning oven. So we were able to do uh, a lot of things that we're not you know used to doing at Winson, um, which uh, you know we have a wok burner and a and a fryer, and a we just recently replaced our sixty uh, year old Garland range that we salvaged uh, with a new stove. But you know still we don't we don't have live fire, so it was really really fun to do the pop-up there and, um, you know, see Ed's restaurant after um, almost a year of operation. So so you're supportive of it. And how do you keep your business open <laughs> while you do pop-up? Um, so, you know, we, uh, you know, there was a time where I, like, worked for two years straight with zero days off. And uh, in order to open the bakery, you know, I started having, you know, in order to make that sustainable, you know, I had to hire um, managers and train up. And um, we have a chef de cuisine that works with us at Winson, Calvin. He's great. Um, and you know, we, uh, he actually, he is at the pop-up with me, uh, his sous chef, our sous chef, Ed Lee was, uh, running the pass at Winson and, um, you know, our sous chef at the bakery was running the, running the pass at the bakery. Cause we have a PM menu there as well. Um, so we have a really good team and, uh, I think, you know, when, uh, you know, we like to have enough people on staff so that everybody two days off and you, know. you got to trust people but i'll like. tell you yeah. one thing justin you asked yeah. an interesting question uh, that i was at Frenchette because they bought a veal from wayward goose farm which we got through a guy named peter henry so i was having dinner there with uh, ann and lee came and sat with us we're like so you got anything going on he's like yeah i'm cooking the vanity fair party for the oscars i was like what so it, it turns out they're cooking in San Francisco and then driving the food down. They are taking everybody with them. So <laughs> I was I was like, who's running the ship? He's like, 
don't come to Frenchette this week. <laughs> he's like, don't. Yeah. He's like, skeleton team. But, you know, pop up, you have a team, and if it's just one person, two people, but for the Oscars, I mean, yeah, yeah we, we relied Jeff, on, they're all going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we definitely relied on Fiori's staff. They, they crushed it and really executed mm-hmm. well. So it was, you know, two managers. And a friend I used to work with uh, at, a, uh, at a Mitchell Willis, he came down with us and helped cook, and we've worked together for a long time. I always so. think it's fun when you get to pull in, like, pull in some some extra hands from different places people that might live in the city that you're visiting yeah. because you bring back like an old crew it's oh, coming it's so together we with had, people uh, you what's trust. her name yeah. sung remember Co- food by sung yeah the, the you know the caterer yeah that kind of crew of people like a mass unit yeah. they come in and they make something fantastic we had the best story of all time it was slow food nations they sat down the city of san francisco for a big slow food event, I had committed to three sandwich stands. One for Edwards, one for Armandino Batali, and one for, I think, like some Southern people, like Al Benton and stuff like that. And we were so in over our heads. And I remember Zach Allen coming up the hill with the team of three people in their chef coats to rescue our ass. And they came and they ordered us around. And I'll always have the greatest <laughs> respect for that moment and for the chefs and for a kind of pop-up team to just come and be like, 2,700 sandwiches today? We got this. <laughs> I think, I mean, and, and Justin, maybe you could speak to this, but off-site and, and catering and pl- it, that planning and, and having that a team that you can take away from your from your core... You know, brick and mortar business is oh yeah, the, uh, the stressful Google Docs but important. I can show you just from yeah. the Philly pop up were, inc- were you know so detailed and had to be you know it had to be perfect or else you know we could like you said like running the business and like ha- being having the organizational um, stuff lined up and support it. You know, it's not to be lost that we you know weren't you know in the shop at you know five thirty and seven a.m. both you know leading up. Yeah, and I mean to get especially ready. when you're running something all day. Oh my and God, the all day a strong thing. dinner service, you know, being open 15 <laughs> yeah. hours a day. Dude. You know, our chef is, our chef and our chef de cuisine are just always online. And so how do you pull them off to do the innovation? It happens in the middle of the night. How yeah. do you write those menus? Yeah, you um, wake up with a little dream journal next to you. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's tough. I love it in theory. It's very tough to execute. Yeah. The yes. core is making sure the food is good in the So store. we call this next section our round robin round table panel weekly based. We have seven questions topics for the next 25 minutes. Emily, take it away. So each of us in this room is in charge with working with large groups. Jessamine, you have a background as an educator, and then you launched Top Bread Kitchen. Trig, you run the Windsun restaurants, as we've been talking about. Patrick and I are at Heritage with a network of farmers and chefs. What would you say is your leadership style? And as we were just discussing, how do you develop fresh talent and people you can trust? Jasmine, you start. At some point, I realized that any organization, whether it's a restaurant or a bookstore or a car factory, is only as good as the people that you have. Companies are just a collection of human beings doing the best they can and the best that we ask them to do. And so I have high expectations and high standards and also try very hard to recognize and appreciate and celebrate the humanity of the people that work in the organizations that I run. Um, Laughing is so important. And so sometimes I feel like, you know, you don't want to lean too much into humor because it undermines your leadership. But I don't I think if you can't laugh as a team, then like, why do people want to work for you? Right. And so, you know, my primary role 
now and definitely at Hopbread Kitchen was just to motivate and keep the best talent we could by making sure they were happy and saw opportunities for growth um, and doing that in the best way I can, which is often just making people's lives more fun in the small ways that you can. I mean, this industry is brutal and people are doing hard work for not that much money. Um, and so doing everything we can to think about how we create opportunities, make the right introductions. You know, I think to the point around the pop-up, sometimes the best thing that does is motivate your staff. There are yeah. things where I'm like, God, this is going to be bad for business, but my staff want to do it. And so that is often the reason why you make business decision is just giving people the exposure and opportunity to meet people. So, um, high expectations, understanding of the humanity of all of us, and then just trying to bring humor into the day-to-day work that we do. Oh, yeah. And reminding people, like, it's it's just a bacon, egg, and cheese, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah, end, yeah, we I are in the think, life-saving yeah. game because food service is high stakes, and yeah. we need it to be amazing. But in the end, like, it's only a bacon, egg, and cheese. So let's yeah, do our best and laugh through it. cooks and chefs, so it's like, we're, we're just cooking. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like... it's got to be hot and it's got to be right. And if you kind of, you know, follow those two guidelines then usually the food's going to be really good. If there's some, you know, thoughtful process behind it. And delicious things. And you've hired well. And and you've hired well. Delicious things are supposed to fuel happiness. So I definitely think that underlying theme of, of laughing and being happy and enjoying this, this, you know, the larger message of what you're doing is really important. For leadership, I just, uh, like, if I'm a little annoyed with someone, I just raise my voice. I'm like, oh, Emily, so you thought it would be a good idea to tell Trig that the shanks were frozen? No, just kidding. <laughs> but um, I, do, uh, I do think it's a lot easier to be successful and to do something right than to have a problem and have to fix it. You know, it seems hard to do it correctly, you know, and you're like, oh, my God. But the alternative is a pain oh, in yeah. the ass. It's a waste I mean, of resources. To to, yeah, and you're like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know. I I'm like, just do it once, and then you're out, you know, versus uh, many times. So it is high expectations. I mean, we run actually a very busy office. I mean, even on the Friday afternoon, we're designing a map with Patty. You're taking a new photo. I mean, we're never slow. We always want to be intellectually stimulated. And, and you're so smart. Catherine's so smart. We have such a great team. It, you heard it here. It's exciting to smart. come to work. <laughs> It is. It's yeah. exciting to come to work. We're never like, well, what are we going to do today? We always have something. Yeah. What's the one we're going to visit? Talk to. Have an idea with. We do an event. You know, in the well, summer we're going to do events. part of what's fun for us about being on the radio, too. We get to then blend all of our worlds. You know, Patrick and I get to take chefs out of the kitchen uh-huh. and have you put trust into ever your great team that you've built and, mm-hmm. and to then be able to talk about it and to yeah. bring that on. And we say the best way to be successful at sales is to never talk about the thing you're selling. Like if we see a man that we're like, how was the bagel? I mean, if there's a problem, of course we could talk about it for hours, but we're like, hey, how's it going? What's up? What are you thinking? How are you feeling? Speaking of leadership, that was sort of Patrick's advice. He's like, you, you want to like, I mean, obviously every chef and every personality is different. Some people don't want to be your buddy. And you know, then they're just like, you're like, okay, what's your order chef? But there are other people that like you get to surround yourself by and you want to be in their orbit. And then you talk about the, the sale at the end. Mm-hmm. But you know, there are always moments where you still, as you said, you need to plan you need to innovate you need to grow Trig only and wants to talk about a shank for so long before you know he's just like get the hell out of my kitchen all right patrick <laughs> yes you ran slow food trig you actually worked here at heritage radio for a bit as an intern i did yeah jessamine <laughs> we've obviously spoken you founded hot bread kitchen all of which are non-profits and now we all work for for-profit businesses uh, let's talk about the difference between non-profit and the for-profit world and what was that transition like 
for each of you. Well, I, I do want to say real quick, though, that all the nonprofits that we more or less do not work for anymore are still going successfully. And I Thanks. Think that's well said. That's Thanks important. Thanks to us. Yeah. Thanks to no, you no, at the radio, no, me no. at Slow Food. <laughs> Uh, I think yes, sustainability they are, they are not, is super important. They are not defunct nonprofits. They yeah. are thriving nonprofits. By the way, the that's worst, a testament. The yeah. worst the report card you could get is you leave the nonprofit and it fails. Yeah. That's uh, the worst slight on your leadership style. You know, So it is important that it continue. But anyway, what personally was it like for each of you to transition away from nonprofit and into for-profit? The less you're fighting for, the more vicious people are about the issues behind it. Like at Slow Food, if Carlo Petrini were to go to this Seattle Convivium and not the other one, they would become rabid about that issue. And it, it didn't. It was just still, like you said earlier, a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. You know, it wasn't the end of the world. Who got? But they fight a lot more. Something luxury about business, it's very clean. But you can stop to buy from us or you could continue and you're paid and, and it closes. But not to be devil's advocate, but a little. But isn't that the same when like a chef is invited to 10 events this year and he or she is only going to pick three? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Aren't you? Or when I see my regular in Winsome's social feed, for example. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're but like, you what know, happened? You like, clearly were not on the Upper West Side today. Just to counter, you know, at those yeah. points, it's like, but, you know, events aren't what's important, right? It's about whether they're buying the pork from you. And then, like, you know, it's probably good that our customers are going to different places <laughs> uh, because we're in New York. And there's, you know... The, there's no one restaurant's going to take away business really from another. You know what I mean? Like there's busy restaurants that, you know, that can sustain next to each other. You know what I mean? That it doesn't it, actually. It, and a lot of chefs, I was recently at Gramercy Tavern talking to Michael Anthony and he said the more energy on 20th street, the more energy mm-hmm. on their block, the better Definitely. for business. That is not what Le Coque Rico was saying. Just well, <laughs> he was actually acknowledging about Le Coque Rico that that sort of loss of energy there has been a bit damaging, but that there mm-hmm. are two places opening across the street and that he was excited mm-hmm. for it to bring back He's like right. 20th street is the place to be. Yeah. I mean, I think we make our money on regulars, right? And so really that's the bread and butter of what we do and we want the hype and we want people we want those people that travel to every obsessive when I when I was in Winsome last time there was this bread tour. Do you remember that? A bread there tour. There was a, there was this group of people oh, yeah. who were on a Brooklyn Greenpoint bakery bread tour yeah yeah, yeah. and they had made t-shirts and it was a celebration of somebody's 40th birthday i was Mm. like that is brilliant (laughs) and i love your obsession and i want the i I, and i was like and why aren't you why am i not on your bread tour (laughs) and they were like we're not leaving brooklyn i was like got it yeah our our heritage (laughs) office is on a a graffiti tour (laughs) we've been a little i always get stressed when i hear 40 people standing outside the office uh for for 20 minutes but do you take them food do you take no but we do let graffiti on our walls we've never put it still says profile transportation so you know you would never know that we were there um but let me ask so nonprofit versus for-profit mm. world so i would say hot bread was successful because i ran it with the fierce entrepreneurial energy that i now bring to the business that i run um i also find it a lot cleaner i like having one revenue stream mm-hmm. Right, like at Hot Bread, we were running a real. We run a real estate business. We sell bread, 
and we generate philanthropic capital, right? We run a food incubator, you know, that supported 200 businesses. Then we sell bread and then we raise philanthropic capital. That is a complicated business mm-hmm. model yeah. with a lot going on on bootstrap budget. So I would say in terms of like the energy that I bring to it, it's like, same, so same and fierceness and I don't I'm not going to say and I'm not going to pass any judgment I think most nonprofit leaders work as hard and as are as strategic and fierce as that I think to run a successful nonprofit you have to be um, it's funny I, I find it easier to run a business where I'm like I just got to sell bacon, egg, and cheese and figure out the right way to do it. It's all about storytelling. It's all about, frankly, like stakeholder engagement. But my stakeholders really want one thing, which is great great food. And at Hopbread, my stakeholders wanted to grow their food business mm-hmm. or they wanted to make sure the employees were high talent. There's just like a lot of metrics to monitor. And so in some ways, I'm finding it... Um, exciting and fun to be in this other kind of growing business um you know in a larger restaurant group mm-hmm. which is in a way what probably feels more different to me we can go to the i do find that sometimes people in the nonprofit world feel entitled they don't have that same fire under their butt that it does uh, take in the for-profit business and uh, sometimes they have a window of opportunity that's shrinking but they feel like that window of opportunity will be entitled for will be open forever because it's a great mission i think and that's I'm the like, per- you have to push I yourself think that, harder i think that's the perception but i know a lot of nonprofits oh, of course, and sit on a lot of, of great boards with nonprofit leaders yeah, yeah, yeah. that are, are more hungry yeah, yeah. and more scrappy and uh, willing to pedal to the metal than a lot of uh, other leaders of of for-profit businesses. But in the business world, you have to make money. In the nonprofit world, you can, in the end, just ask for more money from somebody. So it is. But but like, frankly, like I feel like so many businesses right now are raising money without any revenue model, Mm -hmm. right? Raising tons of money, like the entitlement to be able to, you know, the proof success of business, the proof point of success of business is around how much capital you can raise, not whether you can raise revenue. And that's a different kind of, yeah, yeah, that's a whole other kind of entitlement. I'm like, that's the ultimate entitlement. Yeah, to get $200 million for some. Yeah. yeah. My my brother runs a nonprofit called Street Soccer USA, and it's almost Uh, 20 years old at this point, and engage homeless populations and refugees with soccer. Um, it's been like, you know, very successful and he's grown it from a little program in North Carolina to a nationwide situation that my other brother and him run across, you know, the country with, uh, in tandem. Um, but to your point about, you know, uh, nonprofit leaders being fierce and scrappy. I mean, these guys, like my brothers are just like tireless, you know, uh, fierce, uh, fundraisers and, uh, salesmen and storytellers. And, you know, they're, you know, I've set up courts overnight with them mm-hmm. you know, um, in Times Square where they do tournaments and you know it's, it's just like yeah it's it's crazy you know it's a lot of uh, the scrappiness is especially I feel like accurate you know it's that's great like, so um, I have a question so how do you draw the line we jump around here on the um, round robin weekly base so how do you draw the line between handmade artisan slash from scratch versus automated machine uh, in both your businesses Something, you know, factory-made versus yeah. handmade. Um, I mean... I, I do, is anything yeah, factory? I, I mean, are I you all handmade in this room? No. I mean, no. look, we make our bread at, at the bakery. Um, uh, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not against something that's, like, factory-made. If it's good, it's good. Um, 
We have, uh, I have like a couple bean pastes uh, from imported from Taiwan and some of them are handmade and then some of them are um, managed by like a smaller company, but they use uh, a factory to bottle and um, I think uh, in some cases uh, put together this bean paste and uh, the actually the small, the larger batch one that's like a little bit cheaper um, is way better that it, from my opinion, it's like a more dynamic uh, balanced flavor profile. So, I mean, in that case, it just is like a example of, you know, it just depends on who's, you know, writing the recipe, I guess. And, you know, I think like, you know, Heinz 57, right. It's like great products. Like, what are you going to, you know, it just depends. And we went to PJ Clark's and they served us Sir Kensington ketchup and we we're like, can we have Heinz, please? Oh, oh, actually, awesome. well, they have it. Yeah. Of course. So actually, I'd never been. And uh, Patrick and I went for lunch and I, I saw Sir Kensington's on the table, which is very good, but it, it's not Heinz. And yeah. I was like, Patrick, I'm like, you rave about PJ Clark's. You're okay with this? And he's like, don't no, worry. No, don't they worry. got they Heinz in the back. <laughs> so, but speak. And, and what about you with the handmade? I mean, you That's have one, one daily provisions and now you're opening more. No, we uh, have two. two. I know, but you had one to <laughs> we had start and it was all the energy in yeah. that one and now you're going to have four right by the end of this year yeah so how do you deal with the whole automated and wanting to be craft versus like industrial um i mean we're so far from industrial it's, it's not it's, even a good question it's not it. it's not a <laughs> it's, it's a great question don't don't be so sensitive it's a great question God. i think w- we are not trying to tell our food story through making claims about what's in our food. Our food, yeah. you know, what the the bar that I've been handed by Danny Myers is if it's on our menu, it has to be best in class. It has to be the best version of whatever it is. And whatever it takes for Amanda Wilson and Chef Donovan to get it there, nobody, I mean, you know, n- nobody's asking. Mm-hmm. That's not my, that's, you know, I, of course I ask, but we're not, you know, if it, if the best version of that included a, a factory made bun, mm-hmm. which it would never or in my, mayo or, or Hellman's mayo, mustard, then yeah. it would not be contrary to the mission of daily provisions. Sure. We use heritage meat. We use your, you know, we use your products because they taste better and the best in class bacon and cheese for us is your product. So we don't but need we, to do a DNA test that. to continue to sell to you because we're ready to do the DNA <laughs> you were, test that's to why you thought it. it was, <laughs> um, and, and frankly, we have tasted your mm-hmm. stuff against other product, not to make you nervous, but like we've, we've done taste <laughs> we, us and you, and you win. And so we try, you know, when we can and when it, when it works, we, we will continue to use it. So what are but, the pitfalls? But our guests aren't asking and I don't know yeah. if you feel that way. No, yeah. I mean, you know, they, you, they have expectations that you're going to deliver quality product and not sell them, you know, chicken that's been dunked in chlorine and, yeah is infested with like, uh, you know, crazy viruses or, or, uh, you know, they're not Cor- sick. From, SARS. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's Chicken like with SARS. Yeah. The, the, you know, people, people have trust in you. And if is like, I like what you said, you know, you, as long, you're not doing anything that's contradicting what, you know, you're not making claims about food. You know, we're not saying all of this is Amish, you know, that no, no machines have been involved in this process. You know, it's like, you know, we, you just want to do the best that you can do and the, and the best of the ingredients. That doesn't mean it has to come from Pennsylvania or Canada or, you know, but like in some cases it does. And that's, you know, that's the decision you make. 
And because we're on Union Square, historically we've used a lot of Grow mm-hmm. NYC produce and we'll continue you to do so. You have the best so. supermarket outside we've your door. We've got the best the supermarket. Market. And when I came in, the, a lot of our... Mit- are a lot of our materials like you know the seasonal this or the local this or the and I was like I actually it's not that's not on brand the important thing is is that our food tastes mm-hmm. amazing yeah. and other please places can mm-hmm. do seasonal other places can do local our bar is a best in class bar and that's as great. long as it yeah. meets it we're going to do it in a way meeting our expectations yeah, well of, i come from like the crafted hospitality you know uh, that's where i came up essentially or I, I spent a lot of my time working and you know tom clickia's ethos is like similar right it's like right by union square you know it's uh you know quality driven and you know the, a lot of these principles i feel like i relate to and uh yeah so i'm going to combine these next two questions because we're going uh I'm I'm so interested to hear both your guys' answers. So what are the challenges of being a morning, noon, and night business? And let's combine that with, as pioneers in the fast casual world, what pitfalls have you tried to avoid and, you know, maybe seen other fast casual restaurants make? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Running so many hours is really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Running, opening at 7 for breakfast and closing for dinner is hard from a staffing perspective. And on your space, like the the, the place that you're in. Yeah, fighting the hours in between that to like, Really deep clean is yeah. is tough. And I'm like, jealous that you guys go down. You're cl- you're closed from four to five or uh, three. Th- well, on the weekends, three to five thirty, and on the weekdays, two to three thirty. Yeah, I think the break we call it the siestas. I mean, totally. no, no one is like <laughs> napping. <laughs> um, it's a it's like you know it's really I think it's really important and uh, you know um, it, it is it is tough like opening at 7 a.m. and like wow. making sure everybody's ready for service at 7 a.m. That, that's like a different that's way different than opening at 9 or 11. It's yeah. like seven days a week running like that. When is we opened on the op- Upper West, we opened at 6 a.m. Oh and wasn't there a line already down the block? There was a line for a week, for media a week and a half. There was a line out, out the awesome. door at 6 a.m. and then we settled into what the traffic was and like yeah. the, it actually now we open it. At, after after I think three months, we went to a seven a.m. opening on the Upper West Side too, because six a.m. was like ungodly to get your baked goods <laughs> out by six a.m. We already run twenty four hours right. uptown to get those baked goods up. There's just like people were blurry eyed, and we weren't yeah. we weren't driving traffic. And just to, uh, while you're talking about these bakers, you know, I I, I just want to make it clear I am the chef of both restaurants and oversee. Uh, the back of the house in, in both both establishments, but uh, my baker and the the head pastry chef and baker at uh, the bakery is Danielle Spencer, and she she is like uh, she is so tough, and she's you know has a team that uh, you know they get in there at you know three thirty in the morning, and they you know like for me opening at seven is like you know four thirty at the earliest um, on a crazy day, you know, but uh, you know they they have. Like getting all those baked goods out of the oven by you know right on time. That's so tough. Bakers are tough. <laughs> yeah, no, they it's are. a different yeah, beast. Bakers you bake are the everything in house too. We bake everything in house. Chocolate croissants, ham and cheese croissants, all that. Uh, we we if we did them we would. She's like that's, she's like that's not on our menu. <laughs> know, we do we do lunch. we do a vinoiserie. Um, the only vinoiserie we, we do right now is the everything croissant. Ooh, vinoiserie, I like it. Yeah. Baker Baker. Baker language. And then, uh, obviously, you're very famous for your cruller. And then the cruller. Yeah. What is a cruller? 
A cruller is a crusty donut. It's a, it's a it's, nobody's ever asked me what a cruller was before. What I will tell you is that Canadians say cruller, cruller, and okay. we say cruller here, which I always I guess was we funny. make I think it very it's a very ugly. Canadian thing. Traditionally, it's like a like a light colored fluffy donut, but ours is like delicious and deep fried and almost um, meringue on the inside. So what's the biggest pivot you've had to make at Daily Provisions where like you were about going down to a pitfall or something that just wasn't working or either for your employees or anything like that and then you pivoted and you took something off the menu? I mean, have you had anything that didn't work the way you thought and so you had to do a significant pivot? One of the, one change that I made um, since I've started is that we went from three menus, so breakfast, lunch, dinner, to two menus. So we go from 7 a.m. to 11. We have a small intermenu from 11 to 11.30, and then we introduce a, a menu for the rest of the day. Except you have one little special new fun thing. Very excited. I'm going to say it here first because we haven't started to promote it yet. Um, you guys know because you're sourcing some of the meat for it. Um, but we've added a nightly provision which is a daily special, a daily... Spare Rib Thursday. Oh, Spare Rib Thursday. Or is it St. Louis Rib Thursday? St. Louis Ribs. Okay, we just, we just call it rib Berkshire, yeah. Berkshire Rib Thursday. They are amazing. Really, really good with an arugula salad with some fennel and um So every Fresno night peppers. you have a different offering. And so that every night is, is a five. different op- offering. Uh, one, you know, Sunday night is fried chicken night, which we've been working to make sure that recipe is best in class. So everybody needs to come out and try that. We also have a chicken in a pot, which is an old New York style of meal serves to it's got a lid matzo balls in it so mm. if you're curious what danny meyer thinks of a matzo ball come and taste his perspective i think it's a very exciting best in class matzo ball um and so that's a new addition to it so we sort of went from having two menu shifts we had a siesta when i started but we were finding guests you know i just think people are eating differently and forcing people into the three meal periods just wasn't resonating with our guests and we were kind of losing sales and you know a lot of people want we were finding a lot of people wanted a bacon egg and cheese sandwich for dinner and who am I to tell you you can't right Mm -hmm. so So that item carries over the bacon, egg, and cheese is a breakfast item that you can get from 7 to 9 p.m. Good to so know. was it always part of uh, history to pay first and then wait for your food? I mean, uh, the traditional diner was you sit and you paid at the end. I mean, who switched that? Were you guys pioneers in that? Or had that existed with the successful? I mean, yeah, where did well, that Well, I think begin? we opened first. So if someone's the pioneer. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't there, so I can't well, take let's credit. Well, let's just yeah, counter service is definitely not invented by Winsun Foods LLC. <laughs> or Union Square House but the uh, you know I mean there's different diner dining versus like a lunch counter is a pretty different situation yeah. I, I think, think counter service maybe just was less, less of a New York thing like New York you mm-hmm. sat down you paid at the end even if it was that kind of casual coffee vibe. shop we were a coffee shop city you know, yeah. where you sat, you ordered, it took you 10 minutes, and then finally the waiter would come, you would place your order. These places, your order is in within three minutes, right? And then they're looking for you, or they're calling out a number. Yeah, I mean, if we're thinking about, like, old model restaurants, though, you know, like, in the South, there's a lot of places where you, you go get a sandwich, like, club sandwich at, at the pharmacy, um, hmm. which, which is, like, a big, you know, big thing. So there's, like, you know, in terms of, like, old-style restaurant models, right, there's diners, like, dinner clubs, 
pharmacies, lunch counters, cafeterias, cafeterias, meat and threes, right? Is that like cafeteria? What's uh, meat and three? I don't know. What is that? Like a meat and yeah, three yeah. sides? Yeah, Where you just pick it's your like sides. Southern, it's like yeah. a yeah. southern yeah. thing. I think it's like a southern cafeteria. But mm. I don't know if this dining format is a la cafeteria. Then you have to get in conveyor belts. Come on, we have to have oh, some Asian inspiration. That. You, know, I, you I should think... do a conveyor belt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be hilarious. <laughs> right, it's delivered to the table. Yeah, t- I love the that. So good. You heard it here first. It's <laughs> one of these two is going to have a conveyor belt coming out of their kitchen. So what Maybe city? Maybe fast food though started the pay first thing. Who knows? You know. Well, McDonald's. I love McDonald's. We know. We all know that. Mm-hmm. Big Mac. We know you one. like Wendy's. Is what you really like. <laughs> Justin <Jessamine> just <laughs> coughed. <laughs> <laughs> she coughed off uh, off mic. So the, the Wendy's. I had to eat at a Wendy's recently in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I was visiting family, and I was not. Trig note. In, she said right. had to. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I was did. not. I, did. I was really hoping for better. <laughs> And Anne had to eat, uh, she went to a Florida Keys at a McDonald's, and she's like, it's good, it was good. You know, I mean, I won't do it again, but for a long time, unless I really have to, but I mean, it's, all, it's tasty. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I read, and uh, that, that book, uh, Founder, right, by Ray Kroc, um, at, or about Ray Kroc, and it's like, pre- the stat's pretty interesting about like, you know, first Fortune 500 company to hire a female CEO and they feed 2% of the world's pop. You know, it's like, you know, obviously you don't want to eat McDonald's every day, but there's a time where you're on the road, you've been driving like 10 hours and you're tired and you're hungry. Get a mm-hmm. little, you know, get some McDonald's. It's a, it's a good thing. I don't know. So speaking of the rest of the country, are you going to ask the city question yeah, or the Meghan ask, Markle yeah, question? Yeah, ju- just before we take a break, I wanted to ask you guys, what city would you most like to succeed in outside of New York? <laughs> Would you say Toronto? Like you have to be really successful in this city, so you would be it would be a major. Yeah, part I'm of like your having business. trouble even figuring out what the metric would be. Is this like an ego-driven question? Because yeah, I yeah. think it would make you know my mom really proud if I went back to Toronto and just like killed it in her backyard next to yeah. Bagel World. Like that would be <laughs> huge uh, and make everybody very proud. I think. Or is there a city where if you were like, able where to would say be that you conquered it, like that? That means a lot to the the world at large. Yeah, it could be international. Yeah, I mean Paris. I I love <laughs> I love Mexico City, and so I would love to kill it in awesome. Mexico City. Yeah. That would be awesome. You know, we've been watching closely as you know Shake Shack expands into Asia, and they're mm-hmm. you know have a lot opening in China, and I'm just like so impressed with their ability to translate and pivot and make that work so i uh, it's hard for me to name one drink yeah. would yours be richmond um no like going back i don't, to your I, roots? don't I, I don't think so I, I i love richmond uh so much uh but i think if it was like another city and i, I definitely don't think of it as conquering uh, like hopefully you know it can plug in and like be a community member um it'd be like taiwan taipei and taiwan mm-hmm. or like seoul where my wife's family lives uh, i think that would be like uh, a really cool thing to I did think you were going to say LA uh yeah I mean LA would be sweet too but I, I don't know I think like jo- Josh and I go to Taiwan right like at least once a year and um you know my I've, I've been able to like tack on a, a day or two in Seoul to see my in-laws um and yeah I just I, I'm like I love that part of the world I think it's um it's really cool 
to see and how what how would your model translate in Taiwan? What would work really well, well and what Josh would be? I, we've always joked about doing like a like a small menu like pasta restaurant in Taiwan. Right. Exactly. Oh, so you would fun. basically yeah. not do Winsun. <laughs> yeah, in no, Taiwan. I mean I think at some point you'd like you, you we'd we could when some would be different enough from Taiwanese food like in Taiwan that I think people might think it's fun. Um and uh you know, but it was really cool doing that like pop up with Ed. You know, it was like we were doing just very different different food it really took on its own form you know Wins coming on at an italian restaurant yeah yeah no we've josh and i've always joked about that but i, I don't know I'm not, who, who knows uh Stick so around. last question we're going to break oh, wait what do you have my was Ari, 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 we have a canadian here i we was gonna ask. wait for perfect. our weekly grill oh, we were gonna grill okay. her a little we're bit we're gonna ask about <laughs> Meghan markle after break all right stick around This episode is presented by Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, an advocacy and action nonprofit created by and for restaurant workers. RWCF addresses quality of life issues that disproportionately affect restaurant workers, such as wage fairness, gender equity, racial justice, immigrant rights, mental health, and substance abuse. Learn more about advocacy, grant making, and impact investing by RWCF at restaurantworkerscf.com. Dot org. All right, and we're back. We're here in the studio on the Main Course OG, broadcasting live on Heritage Radio Network from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. We are here with Jessamine Rodriguez, Managing Director of Daily Provisions. So we were just about to continue about your Canadian roots, and we <laughs> needed to ask you, as a Canadian-American, we have... I mean, we have a love for the former royal Meghan Markle. What would you advise Meghan to serve the queen on her next trip to Canada, perhaps as an olive branch to maintain the family peace? I mean, I really wish we would have started talking about Megxit sooner because I have a lot to say, <laughs> as I'm sure you Feel all free. do. Say it, say it. But it is a very good question <laughs> and one that I could really think a lot on. Since they're going to be in Vancouver, there is access to amazing fish and the ingredients to make. I'm assuming she's cooking, right? Yes. The question yes. assumes yes. that she's cooking. Yes. I have and no assume I... that she's an excellent cook. Exactly. So anyways, I, I think oh, the natural God. place that I would go would be like, you know, I would do sashimi or I don't know, something like that. <laughs> but then really thinking about it, I think for the queen, it would have to be some, a little bit salty. Um, and I wouldn't deviate too far i think megan's experience trying to be you know acculturate to the to britain um would suggest that probably something without too much flavor and without too much exoticism right amount of bland exactly what if she so took a note from the president's uh, book and puts mcdonald's on the table yeah i yeah. was thinking <laughs> that it might be like, I don't know, poutine with grilled elk or something, oh, not wow. to be, you know, I really just wouldn't, I think she should maybe try to be what exactly the outside thinks Canada is. I wouldn't play up the true part of Canada, which is amazing diversity, delicious food, a welcoming country for many flavors and cultures, because I don't think that is clearly so we're what, talking moose, what we're the talking Marne Eskimo. Yeah, we're talking, I would yeah. probably 
probably, Penguin. even though she's in Vancouver, and I don't think you can get poutine in Vancouver, uh, I would really just go like quintessential salty Canadian greasy food, which would Keep approximate, which would approximate probably what they've been eating in Britain. All right. <laughs> Megan, Good answer. Hope you're listening. There you go, Megan. She probably is. <laughs> probably. So, Jessamine, you founded Hot Bread Kitchen to train low-income and immigrant women. Why did you choose bread as your vehicle? Oh, uh, it never occurred to me to do anything else other than bread. Bread is the universal food. You know, before people realized that there was gluten, nobody didn't like bread. Every most food cultures have a staple bread product that is both, you know, nutritious, providing the majority of calories and has often some cultural significance. And so the idea behind Hot Bread Kitchen was really finding women who had passion and interest and excitement Mm -hmm. about bread and bread products and channel them into great bakeries where that, that love could, um, develop and translate into economic empowerment. Mm-hmm. And so through the time that I ran it, there was definitely a lot of like, what about salsa, hot mm-hmm. salsa kitchen or hot cookie kitchen, but <laughs> nothing had that resonance. And I think good business has clearer messaging. And so for me, it was always bread and I just love bread. And so I learned how to bake to start hot bread kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are uh, famous for a kind of flat, crispy, Cracker, right? I mean, is that one of the items that I think Anne Sachs will be sold? Yeah, I mean, Anne, just to tip my hat to Anne, because hopefully she's listening. Anne Sachs will be. Anne Sachs will be. She's on the road, but. But she will listen. She'll listen later. She'll listen later. Uh, Anne Sachs will be was my first wholesale client. Really? So when I started Hot Bread Kitchen and we were baking out of a shared commercial kitchen and I was still the head baker, we made a lavash cracker. Um, and Anne, and we packaged them in like like Duro bags, like lunch kids' lunch bags. Yeah, I remember. With a hand stamp on them, and Anne, um, this well well preceded you, I think. <laughs> what as a hotbed kitchen uh, purchaser? As a she's still preceding me, or no? As what? Her husband. As her husband. Oh, time. I see. I see. Before, I see. before she was we a met. swinging single in Essex Market at the time. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Swing and sing. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, my, terrified. my favorite, oh, <laughs> my favorite draw, and I was also the driver for Hot Bread Kitchen at the time. Oh, really? And I was, I would like go in and drop lavash crackers with Anne and Benoit, and loved that. I mean, anytime you can drop off crackers at a good cheese place, that's uh, yeah, that's, and with good personalities and, always, and stories, I would always buy cheese. And then they took our tortillas because we made tortillas from Nixtamal and. They were a great customer for those as well. Very cool. Best so, quesadillas. How did you meet Danny Meyer and discover that joining Daily Provisions would be your next move? I've known Danny for many years. Obviously, he is the leader in thinking about good jobs in food in this city and nationwide. Um, we sat on a mayoral commission on workforce development representing really the hospitality industry years ago. And he and USHG has been an incredible partner for Hot Bread and hiring a lot of the graduates, many chefs, Michael, um, and many others have just consistently supported the organization. So Danny and I Um, sort of knew each other definitely by name and reputation and and definitely a little bit. And he, like good entrepreneurs, is always thinking about talent. 
you know, and just he when um, an announcement went up that I had decided to leave Hot Bread and was moving on to this next stage, I didn't know what I would do, frankly, and thought about, um, you know, whether or not I was going to stay in food. But Danny, you know, asked for a meeting and I don't think he had this, I don't think he had daily provision in mind, but we very quickly realized that there was an incredible alignment there, that this was a brand that he loved, that he saw a lot of potential in, and that I had kind of the area expertise in the bakery, but also just, you know, a a strong track record in creating businesses that create opportunity for people, which is for him a driving passion. And so um, I knew when I left Hot Bread that I wanted to working, I started Hot Bread without a partner um, and grew it on my own with great partners like Ann Saxelby and the support of the food community in New York to do it. But I hadn't had like a real boss in a very long time since I'd worked at the United Nations. And so leaving Hot Bread, it was important to me to work for somebody. I didn't want to start a new thing myself, somebody that I could learn a lot from. And Danny's Sounds amazing. Like <laughs> it's like a daily. How often do you experience. meet with him? Like uh, once uh, a week uh, in person, or you uh, more phone, or email, uh, or text? Uh, how do you? I spend interface? a lot of time with him. Oh, He's incredibly invested in all of his businesses and daily provisions, in particular. He so. always shows up at the Shake Shack openings. Like I, I would hear about him popping up in Kansas City because there was an opening. I mean, you know, very yeah, uh, good work ethic, admirable. Humble. He's, he's he 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 loves it, and he spends a lot of time thinking about the food and the customer experience. Um, daily provisions is what he wanted in his neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, and so he comes as a boss, but he's also a frequent customer at Daily Provisions mm-hmm. and eats there all the time. I wonder, do you think Gramercy Tavern, for instance, will be around in? 500 years. So it's our 35th anniversary of Union Square Cafe this year. Right. And the business is thriving. And 500, I'm 500 is a little <laughs> far for really any cool. of us Let's to fathom. Yeah. No, but we, I mean, a couple say, hundred? I mean, I, I'm fascinated that would be by these I mean, things. Hopefully, hopefully we're around. If, <laughs> yeah, if everything... Um, hopefully we're around. <laughs> if New York City still... Douglas just I died. Know, 103. Bless yeah. him. 103, 103 years old. I know. It's amazing. So... You gave us a little preview about the the nightly provisions. provisions. What what else can we look forward to? Uh, today, going live, passion fruit crullers Ooh, uh, nice. for Valentine's Day. That's very exciting. Um, what about pigeon? We call you pro pigeons when we're doing cut pack, and we're like pro pigeons. No one does pigeon squab. Any of those kind of <laughs> things? Why don't you do? Pigeon? I feel like Winston should do squab. We do quail. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, yeah. We do quail. I want pigeon squab. Is like I don't for think me, that's going to be a nightly a provision. dish that you want to put like for pigeon. You know, pigeon foie gras and cabbage and like wrap the it in crude. <laughs> like yeah, I mean I, I would if I could uh, you know get squab for a reasonable price, I'd sell more of them. Wood <laughs> pigeon in London Fair. they do wood pigeon. I think it's like a bigger dove like pigeon and it's exquisite. Garrett yeah. Oliver just posted a, a pigeon that he ate in. Paris or London or something. Like I don't that. think that's us, that's but I did you. try to get Amanda to make itty bitty bacon egg and cheese with quail eggs oh. and mini piglet porks. How did that go? She was like, "You mean you're crazy?" <laughs> like we struggled you, to like you do brought tasting. some laughter. She's like, sure. "We struggle to do tasting bites because it's just like our menu's not mini. It's not who we are. Yeah. We're, we're 
Maxie. And she was like, you're nuts. Get out of here. Have you ever tried to crack a, 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 yeah. a, a quail egg? I said, yes. She was like, have you ever tried to crack 400 <laughs> quail eggs? Right. Oh, my God. I, we have this. Uh, we, we serve our uh, Taiwanese uh, stew pork over rice that we use you know, heritage pork for, for and uh, we have done many ones for many a, an event and uh, we always typically will do quail eggs like tea quail eggs is like always the worst decision to do yeah yeah, yeah. Like, but it's so there's cute you like got to yeah. do it but it's mini is not so easier cute. is what we have learned yeah. oh my God, from no. this little chat yeah. anyway thank you so much for yes. joining us Jessamine we hope thank you will you. come back again and uh, we'll definitely we need super some super fun I'll come back tonight yeah. is Thursday there are the Berkshire ribs, ribs. oh come eat those Berkshire ribs you'd be great as the panelists too we could bring in an interesting guest that we all and I'll grill them we could interview Anne I'm happy to I'm happy to do a fill-in uh, interviewer Good. when one of you yours out. You are absolutely invited. You could be Whoopi Goldberg or the McCain lady on, the, on our The View. On the main course. I just view. got a TV, so let me watch first and I'll let you, you know. You would love it. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for a great show, guys. See you next week. The Main Course OG is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to learn more about our 10 year anniversary celebration happening all year long subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio you can also find us on facebook at facebook.com slash heritage radio network Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.